0: We are um, just in the in the midst of a. Of a uh, I don't think God is is reshaping or reorganizing. He's just moving us into the next thing uh, for our community. And so, uh, we've talked about uh, you know the the reset that's kind of happened, and uh, and that was you know partly because of. Um, the whole coronavirus thing but again every every season there's opportunity in it for the lord to utilize that for his good purposes so we're not certainly not saying that he is behind the virus but it certainly has provided opportunity for us to stop and and reassess and just lean in and listen in to what the lord is is saying uh, to us, and so a big part of that is uh, is probably just even relanguaging again um, the the purpose of some of the, the things that we do, and uh, and we believe that they're biblical elements of what it means to be part of the kingdom of God and part of His family and part of His ecclesia and all of those sorts of things. So, if you haven't listened to um, last well the last couple of weeks, I encourage you. They're on YouTube um, or on the public Facebook page. You can go back and watch them. Um, they're they're I think uh, just important words for us to understand uh, moving forward and again when we talk about what we do in our gathering times and and really just being focused around whatever Holy Spirit wants us to do in that time um, if that sounds like a new thing to you it's certainly not a new thing to us Um, just because I've spoken on the last couple of weeks is what we've been doing for the last eight or nine years I'd say at least probably when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, so um, would you have questions about that, you're welcome to ask me, because I too didn't have a theology around baptism in the Holy Spirit, and then it happened, and then you go, oh, I wonder that, oh, that's right, it's all in the Bible, so this is sometimes what happens there, as it did literally for the early church, Um, they didn't expect that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the Gentiles, and then it did, and they said, oh, we need to alter our theology. Because God's doing something that's outside of our box, <gasps> shock and awe that God would do such a thing. How dare He move outside of my box of determination of what He is? And um, but there you go. So so again, nothing's shifted or changed. We're probably just giving a helpful language and an understanding as to you know who we are as a people. Uh, and again, I'm I'm hoping and expecting that you don't see that that's something that's a, a paradox church thing uh, when it's trying to. Um, be uh, different in some way or unique in some way we're not trying to start a denomination we're just trying to be faithful to, uh, to what the Bible says uh, and you know, uh, I think it's for all of us really we, we live lives based not just upon uh, revelation but often on tradition and, and what we've experienced in the past and we, we build our lives upon that probably a lot of us you know you, you parent from history you you know you just you, you behave as to how you're shaped by the things around you. Um, and then sometimes we miss, oh, actually, but maybe is that actually the Lord's way? And, uh, and that's what we are pursuing uh, as we continue to move forward, as we always have. But I just happen to be one of those people, I don't mind questioning things, um, not because I want to rebel, but because I want to obey and I want to know truth. And that requires that we ask questions, because sometimes what looks like obedience is actually disobedience, because we've assumed that we know where he's going uh, when he's actually not. And so we, it looks like we're being faithful and actually we're being foolish because we haven't heard his voice. We've assumed that what he did in the past is doing again and we've just jumped on out some sort of old and wagon rather than saying, this is what he's saying and this is what we must do. But it's different to what happened before. That's okay. Because he's the same yesterday, today and forever. doesn't mean what you do is the same yesterday, today and forever. So, amen. Uh, there we go. Right, so I'm still, uh, can someone, I'll just... So, I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about the Holy Spirit. Right, so, I'm just going to... Do, do, do. Which mic am I? I'm red, Mike. And I'm just going to alter a, bit of, a bit of EQ. If you're, if you're a, a, a sound technician type person, we would love to have your help. Because we as in most areas, just figuring out as we go along. So come and see Andrew afterwards, if he's not running around doing a whole lot of jobs. Anyway, I'm kind of relaxed here, as you can see. part of moving forward as a community, uh, the, the imperative, I think the highest priority is that we're hearing and obeying. Um, we're hearing and obeying what the Lord is saying and recognizing um, how He speaks and uh, you know the way that He speaks and, and knowing His voice and, and all of those sorts of things and, and the way that God speaks primarily to His people is through the Holy Spirit, not through the Holy Scriptures There is a Trinity, and this book is not in it. The Trinity is in this book, but the book is not in the Trinity. It's not the Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if that um, uh, uh, annoys your perspective or your tradition or something like that, I just encourage you, if you're like, I'm a Bible person, I just really encourage you to read it and hear what it says about the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, and then go and obey it, because um, you'll find that it, the God is, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm just trying not to get on the horse, I'm just, stay horsey. We're not talking about you today, we're talking about other things, but I acknowledge that you're here, and you want to run or gallop around, and all that sort of stuff, but just not right now, okay? So, um, we are more of, an apostolic and prophetic culture than we are a pastoral teacher-type culture. Um, the dominant uh, framework of the modern Western evangelical church is built upon a foundation of shepherd-teacher, what you'd call a paradigm, a way of functioning. Okay, I've got big teachings and all of this sort of stuff which I spoke many years ago and I'm sure will come out any you know sometime soon um, but the way that the church was originally established and then how it started to shift and alter and particularly around uh, with Constantine and when the, the Christian church went from being a, a persecuted people to being the religion of Rome essentially uh, that apostolic and prophetic dynamic was squashed and and removed. Uh, from the church, and so it then functioned more in a, what we'd call a a shepherd teacher, a pastoral teaching paradigm. And I get those words from the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd and teacher, which Jesus speaks of, or Paul speaks of in Ephesians 4, 11, but talks of the gifts that Jesus gave to the church. Now they are five um, elements of Jesus. So Jesus is the ultimate apostle, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate shepherd, the ultimate evangelist and the ultimate teacher. Okay, so he, it's, I just look at it, he broke himself into five pieces, just so, you know, bite-sized pieces um, so we can handle it. But ultimately, the, the role of the, the fivefold ministry is to equip us all, to, to reset you know, us all into the framework that God originally intended his church and his bride to be. Um, but what, uh, I guess, some of the distinctions then, if we look at more of a, well, I mean, our desire is to be a fivefold community, but the foundation of the church is laid by the apostles, and the prophets. Did everyone know that? It's in Ephesians chapter two, verse 19 to 22. This apostle Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we know the apostolic and the prophetic lays the foundation of the kingdom of God. That's the work of the kingdom is laid by the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, which is the block that's laid in the corner, that everything is measured off. So everything we do is measured off Christ what he would do, what he would say, how he would behave, all of those sorts of things. We look at Jesus and we say, what would Jesus do? And then we do that, okay? Now we know what Jesus would do, it's recorded in the Bible, okay? How we do what Jesus would do and how we know what Jesus would do, it's not just about reading in here, but it's been led by the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, okay? That's how we know. But if you look at more of an apostolic and prophetic culture versus a shepherd teacher dominant culture, we need to understand that Um, they're going to be different and they're going to feel different to participate in if you haven't recognized that yet. Um, So some of what we do when we gather, how we structure ourselves, what we emphasize and focus on is because we're trying to lay a foundation that the church can be built upon. Now is shepherding important? Absolutely, it is. It is fundamentally important. Is teaching important? Absolutely, it is. Is evangelism important? absolutely it is? Is the prophetic important? Absolutely, it is. As the, it's all there's not a, 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 it's not about importance. It's about order of establishment. If you build a a, a, a prof, uh, sorry a pastoral paradigm on the wrong foundation, then it can be swayed in the wrong kind of way, too heavy on one side. Um, so it's important that the foundation, because when you lay a foundation, everything that's built upon it is determined by the foundation. So some of what we're about here is the reason why we uh, we don't just kind of settle for status quo. We don't just go, oh, what's gone before, we'll just keep doing that. We don't look, again, about just building and just gathering people in and building what we're doing here on Sunday. We're about actually sending people out to bring the kingdom of God and to see his kingdom expand to, again, which is the apostolic kind of thrust, the pushing out, the prophetic is, well, some would say it's, Focus primarily around covenant faithfulness to God. So it's the prophet who is always crying out, love God, come back to the Lord, don't lose Him, don't take your eyes off Him, don't miss Him, yeah? Have you noticed any prophetic people in your life or in this church who they, and what the dominant thrust of what they talk about is? That's their role is to keep that thing in the focal point of the body of Christ. And again, the apostle has a role, keep this in the focal point. The evangelists has a role, keep this in the focal point. And they're all working together, and it's important that they're all present. But what is the more kind of dominant culture in the church is the shepherd-teacher paradigm, which is really shepherds love to gather people, and teachers love a crowd of people. <laughs> you know, so it kind of works really well. But you'll notice, and and again, I've done deeper study into this, but you'll notice that that's kind of really what the church is predominantly like. It's about get us all together, and then someone teaches. It's gathered around the sermon, which teachers love to teach, shepherds love to gather, so it kind of works really well. But unless you kind of zoom out and go, is that actually what Jesus designed? Is that His design for His body? And I would challenge that if we look scripturally, that's not the fullness of it, now, should we gather together? Absolutely. Is there wonderful things that happen when we gather? Absolutely. Are we, are we to be family? Yes. Should we be teaching one another? Absolutely. Are we so incredibly blessed to have the record of the words of Jesus and the, and the Old Testament and the, the apostolic writings? Absolutely we are. And should there be ones that can rightly interpret it? Absolutely. But again, if, if, the, if the thrust behind it isn't right, then we'll do a whole lot of things, but they won't have the outcome that the Lord desires which is that people would love him, but also go and bring his kingdom to earth. So the current season shift that we're in, we're not, we're not trying to follow a trend. We're not trying to do something that's kind of funky or new or different. Um, we're just trying to be obedient. That's it. It's really scary to be obedient. I've confessed in our core meetings, I'm scared. Of where God's what what he's doing. Because I don't know exactly what he's doing. And I also know that when God does what he wants to do, people sometimes don't like what he wants to do. Because they want to do what they want to do, and God, and then you get up and say, We're gonna do what God wants to do, and people don't like that. And it's just that's just the reality of, of what we live in. But I can't not live by conviction to be obedient to him. We're chasing. Not chasing, it seems like it's striving, but we, what we desire is, is biblical Christianity, not cultural Christianity. And a lot of what we see in the church is, is a cultural form of Christianity. And there's different you know, denominations and all of that sort of stuff in the Christian church. But to understand as well, even denominations are formed out of a reaction, oftentimes to a lack or to an error in one movement. And so someone goes, hey, this is, this is missing something. We need to focus more on this. And then people gather around that and say, yeah, we're, we're not about that. We're about this. So in, essentially it is divisive and unhelpful. But that's the whole Protestant church was started by that, by Martin Luther. He said, hey, there's some issues in the Catholic church. I'm going to write about them. He wrote down this, you know, his 95 theses. And, uh, and, 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 but for him, he was. I wanted, I'm wanting to reform the Catholic church. I'm not trying to cause a divide. He was a priest in training, and so, but he wrote down these 95 points of where he saw that the Catholic Church was moving in a direction that wasn't in line with Scripture, and unfortunately, instead of choosing Re- Reformation, they chose disconnection and pushed him out, and then that, that's what started the Protestant Reformation, the whole movement of Protestant Christianity, which you and I are a part of, the you know, the stream going out of that. But there's something where we we can look at and say, well, I'm I'm more familiar with this denomination, or I'm more familiar with this kind of tradition or or this culture, just to recognize that they're they're possibly a reaction to something. And the reality is, whatever we do as a community is potentially in reaction to something. And I don't want it to be in reaction to something. I want it to be in obedience to someone. But there's always that because we wrestle, oh, I don't like that, and so I'm oh, I'm gonna go to this end, and then we swing the pendulum over to the other end of the spectrum, and that just gets unhealthy as well. So we want to say, well, look, we're not we're not wanting to react to things that go, well, we don't like that, so we're gonna do this. We're just wanting to be obedient to what you say. Now, the reality is in any reformation, sometimes you need to say, and but cause that over there, I'm not sure matches up with this, because it gives people the context, oh, that's what you're talking about. Because again, language. I can say a word and you can say the same word and we mean totally different things. That's the reality sometimes. So sometimes we decide, but this is what I mean. When I say this, this is what I mean. So if I was to talk to you about discipleship, you might hear something different to what I'm saying because I understand discipleship in one way and you might understand it in a different way. This is what we're journeying through with our core leadership, with teaching on these things. The gospel. You might say, well, yeah, I know what the gospel is. And, uh, or maybe you go, I have no idea what the gospel is. Um, that's okay. Well, it's not a it, Alpha, yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Um, but I, I might mean, think something different than what you think. Um, so again, to, to outline what is maybe not as accurate to Scripture um, is one thing. But that doesn't mean that one thing's, you know, bad and, and you're better or there's creating that. It's just simply saying, hey, our, our desire is to be faithful to Him. And, uh, and there are things that are in the Bible that Jesus spoken, that He says to us, that are descriptive of the culture and the time. And there are some things that are prescriptive, and I'm I'm more I'm I'm like one of those black and white people. Anyone notice that? No. Um, uh, who's like? But there's prescriptive things, and they're not negotiables. There's a whole lot of stuff. It's like, oh yeah, what song you want to sing, and how you want to lay out the chairs. Like whatever. Like we haven't put the chairs in a circle because there is something in the scriptures that says, and and they must, you know, their seating must be arranged in a. In a you know oval shape around a table, like it's not this is this is a prophetic act that we are participating in, and we find it's helpful and it's and it's focal, and there was a, a prompting from the Lord to, to to do those sorts of things. But if it changes next week, no big deal. We talked about it. As as more people join the community, we might need to add more chairs, we might need to change the layout, oh, whatever. We're well, not not we're not going to you know die on the hill and fight for for this. So that's a descriptive thing of how we gather and what we do. But there are prescriptive elements and I think they're the things that are most important that we focus on. Tradition is okay as long as it doesn't inhibit obedience. And that's the danger of tradition. That's the danger of the safe place of tradition that we can find ourselves in is that our ears aren't even listening to to obey because we've assumed that we already are because someone who went before us figured it out and I'm just following in their footsteps. They have laid it out for me. So if I just stick to this path, I won't disobey. Yes, you will, (laughs) because you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, who is the one who is given to lead you. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead. So again, when we can talk about different denominations and, and things like that, and you've got the charismatic movement. Um, and again, the word charismatic, charis, is the, word, is the Greek word for grace. So it's grace, it's the grace movement. And the focus of the charismatic movement was the re-emergence of the giftings of the Holy Spirit. Great, Fantastic. We need to be believing and expecting and operating in obedience that God heals today, that, he, that the Holy Spirit will prophesy through us, that you know, all of those great and amazing signs and wonders, all that sort of stuff, it's awesome, it's great. Yes, amen, awesome. And that's, again, a, a thrust to say, hey, this is missing in the church, let's bring it back in and make it a, a, a priority. Absolutely, it's good. One of the maybe potential overemphasis of it is that the focus was around the graces of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we talk about, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that word gift is not in there. Um, Paul says, you know, when now I talk about spiritual gifts, it's not spiritual gifts, okay? It's spiritual, the spiritual, it just means spiritual people. That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the spiritual kind of environment. He's talking to the Corinthian church who were in idol worship. So they knew they were all into all kind of supernatural, spiritual things. And Paul's saying now, when, we, when, we, when it comes to the spiritual, not when it comes to what food you eat and you know, traditional practices and all that. stuff. So when it comes to the spiritual, Paul's saying there's one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now he apportions graces to people. So he empowers people in particular ways. But it's all the one Holy Spirit. So if you say, oh, the Holy Spirit has gifted me in this particular way, well, it's it's in a moment that He has graced you to prophesy, or He has graced you to heal, or He has graced you, but it's all the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the, the my concerns of where there might be a, a lack in that whole, in the bigger picture of all of that, is that the focus then becomes upon the work of the Holy Spirit and not the person of the Holy Spirit. So we can all be about, yeah, we just need to prophesy, we need to, we need to pray, we need to cast out demons, we need to heal, sick, we need to do all this sort of stuff. And it's like, yes, we do, which is an overflow of an intimate connection with the Spirit who does all of those works. He doesn't say, here, here, I'm a Holy Spirit here. Here's a portion of me, Holy Spirit, go away. And here's some more Holy Spirit, go away. He's, no, no, because I dwell in you, you can do those things. Because I'm, I'm, I'm present with you, I can grace you at any moment to do anything that I want to do. That's holy and righteous, obviously. Um, so again, we've gotta draw back a bit. And go, it's not just all about, because I, 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 I don't know, sound like a judgment. I'm not, I'm not judging, but I can see sometimes in particular, even in the charismatic movement, where there's a lot of people who do lots of awesome supernatural things. But then I'm like, but I wonder, do you, do you know the one who is doing those things? Or you just know what he does, and you partner in with what he does. And the fact is, you can partner in with the Holy Spirit and not know Him intimately. Because He said, I'm gonna make my home in you. That's His decision, not yours. You didn't put out a, you know, a for sale sign on your soul and say, Holy Spirit, come. You wanna you know, move into this place, you can buy. Said, that was all God's work. Salvation was God's idea. You being filled with the Holy Spirit was God's idea. He's done it, He's set up home in you. And now you can then operate out of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the graces of the Holy Spirit. But there's a danger because then it can look like well i'm doing all of these things and yet i don't even know the one who's doing those very things and he desires that you know when it comes to understanding the scriptures we can know about god from the bible but we can only know god by encountering the holy spirit We can read all about him back to front. I know everything about God, and yet I've never met him because I've never actually encountered his presence, his spirit. This is not for the charismatic people. This is not for super Christians. This is none of that sort of stuff. This is Christianity 101 that you would know the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ the one God in three persons. So the Holy Spirit is as much God as Jesus is God and as the Father is God. They just function in different roles in the kingdom. The role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. The role of Christ is to glorify the Father, but they are equal and one. This is again, as I said many times, ontological equality and functional subordination of the Godhead. Ontological equality, which means in their personhood, they are equal. That's the study of, of personhood is ontology. So they're ontologically equal as people they are on the level, but they are functionally subordinate. So one does what the other one says, essentially. So Jesus obeys the Father. So he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And the Spirit that obeys Christ. Okay, and, he glor- and they glorify back up, but they're not like, they're like a husband and wife. A husband and wife are equal, but there is functional subordination that the husband is to serve and sacrifice and do all of those things as the head of, in in that marital relationship, and the wife is to submit to that kind of husband. By the way, if you ever hear someone using that scripture, say, well, you gotta submit, then it's like, well, then you gotta die, buddy. So. Don't talk about submission unless you're willing to to go through crucifixion. So you might go, "Mm, I'll let you rebel for a bit till I'm ready to be crucified, so. Right, Romans chapter eight. It talks about life in the Spirit. This is a really great point to start on when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and it says, "There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." So, if you're not the most spiritual person in the room, you're not condemned. Well, I don't hear from God, you're not condemned. I don't move in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not condemned. I don't quite understand like the prophetic and how that moves, you're not condemned. Okay. But there's an invitation for you to know Him in a greater measure. For me, if I see someone and they and like not being able to engage with God or not being able to engage in worship, I know what that feels like. I know how boring, especially in a church like this, where it's like an hour and 15 minutes and singing the same line over and over and over again, just shut up and move on. And then you meet and you encounter the Holy Spirit and you're like, stay here as long as you want. Because I'm meeting with Holy Spirit right now. I don't want anything to disrupt this time because me and him are just having such an awesome time together. And he's speaking to me and I'm seeing pictures and he's changing my heart and he's drawing me closer to him. And he's bringing me revelation. And he's prompting me to pray out and declare. And I can see things moving because we are having the great time together. I know those two sides of the story. I know what it's like to live not understanding all of these, you know, spooky supernatural things. And now I know what it's like. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's so much better to know him, to be led by him, to be prompted by him. And still sometimes I have the temptation to go back to old analytical ways, logical ways, relying on my own strength ways, relying on my own ability ways. So if you, I just, you're welcome to talk to me, but I'm saying, I'm not saying like, I didn't grow up in this Pentecostal crazy environment. I didn't grow up in the church full stop. I, I, and I started going along to a Sunday service because my first girlfriend at the time was going along. I wasn't, follow, I wasn't following the Holy Spirit. I was following something else, Okay. And then, and then God, got, God got a hold of me and I gave my life to Jesus and I was serving, doing all of that sort of stuff and, and, and to being obedient to Him in the best way that I knew how. But there was dry parts of my relationship with God. But I had a, a, a yearning and a longing for the more. And so I would find myself just trying to get around the people who seemed to be more like spiritual of the Christians. Because it wasn't normal in, in the, you know, the church tradition that I was in. There was this one little kind of group of weird people and, and I just seemed to gravitate towards them, you know? And uh, yeah, that was, my, that was my journey. Anyway, so I'm just saying, you're not condemned. You feel condemned, you're not condemned. Not by God, not by me. If, if, any, if anyone's prompted wanting and, and you feel prompted to, to press into more of God, it's because we love you. And what I know is I know the dry place and I know the well and I want the well for everybody because it's much better to drink from the well than to eat sand in the desert. And again, is that all that it's about? No, it's not, but it's pretty significant because that's the Holy Spirit, the person of God on the earth. And I'm gonna get to what Jesus thought about that. Anyway, so for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Anyway, it's going on about the law, we don't know what's about that. Here we go. Um, oh, that's no, it's pretty close. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, Jesus condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Hallelujah! He is Jesus is fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law in me. And who is us? Those who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds. It's not brainless Christianity. Holy Spirit people, they're not brainless people. Just, their mind is set on the Spirit. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Who wants life and peace? Hallelujah, me please, thank you. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. I want to be in that place. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And it goes on to talk about that you are heirs in Christ. It goes on to talk about your future glory in God. But this all comes out for those who are being led by the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? I'm gonna tell you. I'll just leave it here thinking, I don't know, neither do I. Let's move on. John chapter 16, verse seven, for all of you who aren't taking notes. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples and he says, nevertheless, I tell you this, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus says, it is better for you that I go. Because unless I go, I can't send the helper, the Holy Spirit. Now for me, if you were to ask me, what would you prefer, Brad, Jesus in the flesh, walking around with you all day, or the Holy Spirit, my logical mind would go, I want Jesus in the flesh. Probably why? Because then I can control the aspects of my experience with Him. I'll be able to see it and then prove, oh, yes, He definitely does do miracles. I'll be able to hear the words and it definitely came out of His mouth. I don't need to trust because He's right there with me all the time. But He says, no, it's better that I go then there's something that I'm missing in my framework of understanding that says if if that's if Holy Spirit is better than you, then that must be super duper awesome. But probably one of the elements that it doesn't have is my ability to control anything of the relationship. <clears throat> probably even as you know, you saw the disciples kind of tend to do. You know, uh, the, the brutality though. You imagine when the Holy Spirit convicts you is one thing. Jesus rebuking you that would be pretty tough. Get behind me, Satan, you know. You just imagine John how embarrassing that would have been. No, no, Jesus, you'll never be crucified. He's get behind me, Satan. Hold on a second. <laughs> you know, one minute, I'm you know, laying on the chairs, you know, the disciple you love, and now I'm Satan, you know. Make up your mind, Jesus. But your minds are set on the things of man, not on the things of God. So if Jesus is telling us, it's way better that I go that the Holy Spirit can come, there's a replacement happening. Jesus goes, Holy Spirit comes. He is replacing himself on the earth. And the benefit of that is that he gets to be everywhere. He gets to be ubiquitous. Wow, thank you very much. I'm out. That's where I would end my stand-up comedy routine. That'd be that tie-in, the final tie-in joke that's been, have you seen how comedians do that? No. Not that I watch or listen to communion. It's You know, I just read the Bible all day. Yeah. Acts 1.4, Jesus says to the disciples, don't go anywhere, wait for the Spirit to come. Which again, it's not just like, hey, you've spent three years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week with the Son of God literally in your presence. And that's not enough. That's not enough for you to do what I've called you to do. Acts 1.4, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So again, we've got the promise of Jesus that I'll send the helper, which is the promise of the Father that you'll be baptized in his presence. So Jesus sends the Spirit, the Father, commands that you would be baptized, immersed, completely consumed with the very Spirit of God, which is what we require to do what He has called us to do, to be who He wants us to be. If you read the Bible and it looks like that seems like an impossible thing to do in my life, the answer is correct. But with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, all things are possible. And this is the thing where, you know, I, I, I do understand that different um, streams in the church and different uh, denominational kind of backgrounds and they have different views and perspectives on, on the Holy Spirit. And uh, and again, I'm, I'm not here to, to take issue with uh, with anything there, but I'm just like, I, we, we need to be faithful to what the Bible talks about as to who the Holy Spirit is and to understand He is God. He is God in us and we need to give him the place of prominence as if God showed up at your house, how would you arrange things for him? God has shown up at your house and he has made his home in you and do we give him the prominence that he deserves? I don't. I'm sure all you guys do. I don't get caught up in my day and my attention gets drawn other places and I I forget about him or I react to something in life not recognizing who is in me and with me and for me I'm saying I'm not saying I, I could you know completely ignore the Holy Spirit I'm saying I don't feel like I give him the place of prominence that he deserves You know, being embarrassed or ashamed or dismissive or argumentative about the whole Holy Spirit thing just won't help. Because, <clears throat> oh, well, I don't know about that, and I don't know about this, and well, I don't know, like, and this, that, and whatever about the Holy Spirit. It's like, no, He's, he's God. He's God. He is not just like the, 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 like some sort of smoky, cloudy part of God. He's not a manifestation of God. He's not an angel of the Lord. He's not part of God out there, more kind of you know. I mean, Jesus, I get. He was like a person. He was in bodily form. I I I comprehend that bit. And God created. I guess he's you know big and out there. But the Holy Spirit, he's not just the spirit. He is God. And he is God in us, and God upon us. It's not a cultural issue. It's a biblical issue. You know, the whole, um, when you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, Paul is addressing the things of the Spirit, these spiritual things, and I encourage you to, uh, to, to read those chapters if you haven't before. Um, but he speaks of, you know, in that he's saying, you know well, some say, oh, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos, and then and Paul's saying, look, it's, it's not about us. There's, there's one Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. That's who you follow. Don't give allegiance to me but I sometimes can hear, it's like people give allegiance, oh, well, I'm, 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 I'm a Baptist, or well, I'm reformed, or I'm this, or I'm that, or I'm mean, It's like, you give me, don't give your allegiance to a denomination or to a culture or to a history. Give your allegiance to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Don't get caught up in, oh, but I, I remember this, and this, I read this. I watched a, pod, uh, a YouTube video and it talked about this thing, and like, discover for yourself, read about him. There's a whole book on him. It's literally the most produced book in the entire world. But this section 12, 13, 14 of 1 Corinthians, and then Paul in the middle is 1 Corinthians 13, which we know, yeah? What's that? It's all about love. Love is patient, love is kind, love is, you know, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. Um, That's really important to understand. But I find it interesting And this is why it's important to, when you're reading through the Bible, if you read a verse in the Bible, always look at what's either side of it. And if you're reading a chapter in the Bible, always look what's either side of it, because it'll give you some sense of context as to what's been spoken about. And again, we read the Bible, it's in chapters and books and verses and all that sort of stuff, which it never was written, that was added later. Paul didn't write little numbers next to each sentence that he wrote or half sentence, okay? That was added in later on, when the Bible was put together, because the New Testament, the New Testament church didn't have a, the, the New Testament. <laughs> it was literally being written at the time. They had the Holy Spirit, which is what led them. And they had the Old Testament, which they didn't have access to, especially the Corinthians and the Ephesians and the Galatians, and the Philippians, all the church that Paul planted because they were Gentiles. So they couldn't even go to the temple and be in that space where they would read from the scrolls uh, of the Old Testament. But but you look at 1 Corinthians 13, it's jammed between, Paul starts talking about spiritual gifts, one body with many members, the way of love, and then he goes on to talk about prophecy in tongues. And I find it interesting that Paul juts right in the middle that love is this center point. And you can say, oh yes, well I guess if I want to prophesy I should love, and if I want to you know, speak in tongues of angels, well I should love. Who should you love? Well, I should love the person I'm prophesying to. I should love the person that I'm praying. No, you should love the Holy Spirit. He's not to, it's just, this is not for your wedding day. <laughs> this is saying, this is what it looks like to love my presence. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and don't have love, Tongues of men and of angels, but not have not love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging sim, I'm just making noise. If I have prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. But he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about all of these spiritual things. But he's saying, if you're getting caught up in all of that and you're not loving me in the middle of it all, you're missing the whole point. And you're gonna get caught up about being more prophetic or being more gifted in a particular area or seeing more mountains moved. And you'll miss the one who's moving the mountain. We don't wanna focus on the working of the Holy Spirit, but on the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul outlines there that, you know, it's the same spirit that outworks his grace. The word gift, as I said before, makes it confusing because it's not actually in the text, but it puts the emphasis on the act of the Holy Spirit and not the person. That's why we just, I don't know why they put it there, because they have a cultural understanding of, oh, that must be what Paul's talking about. If you ever think about people adding and taking away words from the Bible, just so you know, all through the Bible. Words are taken out and added in because it's in English and you don't know Koine Greek or Hebrew. (laughs) So someone's gonna help you. But this is the thing, it takes our attention and focus away from the person. But if we love the person, we will flow in the gifts. If we love the person, we'll hear what he's saying. If we love the person, everything else will come into order. If we love the person, we won't keep walking down the pathway of sin because love is a powerful motivator. When you're in love, you do crazy things. You cost yourself. When you're in love, you cost yourself in ways that you would just not do if you weren't in love. Anyone, anyone give me an amen? No, just me. So when you're in love with the Holy Spirit, everything changes. The Holy Spirit leads us and He leads His church. The Holy Spirit is the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter two and, and three. And it talks about outlines here. Paul says, you know, I came to you and I I desired to know nothing amongst you except Christ and Him crucified. And I came and I preached, not with lofty words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power. And the reason why Paul did that is because they were carnally minded. So then you read in chapter three, if you just take that little verse, and that's sometimes what people do, and they say, yeah, we just need to preach Christ and Him crucified. That's the gospel, that's what it's all about. It's like, no, it's not what it's all about. That's what it was about for the Corinthian church because they were in the flesh, they were carnally minded and they could not take on board the things of the Spirit. Paul is rebuking them. He's not affirming them. He's not saying, well, I came to do this. is this the right way. He said, no, no, you guys were all caught up in your minds, in the flesh, you're all carnally minded. So I I just kept it super simple. Christ and Him crucified, and then I demonstrated to you the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? So that your faith might rest on the words in the Bible. No. That your faith might rest in the power of God. In the Spirit of God. That's where you might put your reliance in. Not in what you can understand, but on who He is. And then he goes, and that's when he talks about the mind of Christ. Is that no one knows the thoughts of a person except the Spirit who is in that person. Nobody knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And you have the mind of Christ. You have all of the thoughts of God living inside of you, which is the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes and talks on, we do share spiritual wisdom with those who are spiritual, those who can receive it, those who understand and know the Holy Spirit. We can talk these deep truths, these mysteries of God. Now, again, I'm not saying that you get all caught up in weird, spiritual things that you don't find in the Scriptures, but Paul's saying, no, we can impart wisdom to those who are spiritually mature, but I couldn't do that to you guys because you're so caught up in your own minds. When it comes to God leading us, and again, when we talk about, you know, like going to war with the Lord and all that sort of stuff, we're not saying that every week's gonna be some sort of like militaristic kind of battle against things and get your swords out and do that sort of stuff. What we're saying is we're here to be obedient to him. We're here to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. When we gather together, we're saying, Holy Spirit, your agenda, you do what you wanna do. Now, I wanna say that should be all of our lives, but there's particular times where he's gonna do things beyond us and we come in yielded to that, yielded warriors. And the Holy Spirit might say to us, well, today, guess what we're gonna do? I'm gonna love on you guys. So, yes, Lord, that's what we're gonna do. Then we're just gonna love on each other and you're gonna love on us. And that's the warfare that God is going to accomplish. That's the shift that is going to take place. That's what I felt like he was doing today. He was literally displacing strongholds so he could come and, and make a habitation of his presence more in us. That was part of the battle that took place today. We weren't out there, you know, tearing down territorial strongholds and stuff. Was, I think there was some strongholds in our heart that needed to come down. And we will not go to war without Him. The Holy Spirit leads the army, He empowers the army, He carries the authority and He will have the victory. So we don't just want, oh, okay, let's go take on a battle and it's, that's stupid. It's a dumb thing to do. Don't go into warfare unless the Holy Spirit leads you into warfare because you do not have the strength and the ability to go out on your own. Let's be like a soldier to saw of a saying, all right, commander, rest of you guys, I'm just gonna head out onto the battlefield, bad idea. When we talk of warfare, we're not talking about just going to battle whenever we want, that would be foolish. As I said, we are subordinate to our commander. We only go where he goes and do what he is doing. We are yielded warriors, we are subordinate to the Holy Spirit. To go to war without the Holy Spirit is to go to war without the covering of his headship. Headship exists in covenant, and covenant exists as the fruit of intimacy. You want Jesus to be Lord, you want his headship over your life as you are the bride of Christ, you want his headship that comes in covenant and covenant is the fruit of intimacy. We need not fear warfare when the Lord leads us in because he He is always victorious. I think a more fearful place would be to live outside of his will, whether rebelliously or ignorantly. And again, God's will is not his plan. If you say, what's your will? Well, it's my desire in a moment as to what I want to do. God's will is his desire, and his desire becomes a plan of action because God's will has action to it. He doesn't just like, well, I desire this to happen, but I guess it's not gonna happen, you know. Probably can't afford it. Like, like when, when the Lord wills, it is going to get done. He has a plan of action. But for us to submit to His will, it's not like you don't have to rack your brain to try and figure out what's His plan? Where am I supposed to go? Should I stand this way? Should I walk that What, what am I supposed to do? Um, and we get all caught up and we get fearful about am I doing His will? If you yielded to Him, if you're listening to His voice and you're obeying what He said, then you're going to fulfill His desires. He won't tell you to do something that's not his desire. So it's not about, again, which is what we try to do. How can I control the situation to make sure I stay in his will? It's not how it works. It's not how we designed the kingdom of God to work. He designed the kingdom of God to work as an overflow of intimacy. And that's the most precious place to be in. Just yield it to whatever he's saying. Whatever he's doing, we're just just gonna go where you go, Holy Spirit. I think we should pray. Won't you stand with me? We'll just bless those who are tuning in online. Bless you, love you, see you next time. We're just going to minister here for a bit.